this morning's scripture comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Uh, if you're following along in your own Bible, we're going to read verses 25 to 35, John 6, 25 to 35. It'll also be on the screen uh, behind me. Lord, speak to our hearts now through your word. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him... God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for this powerful moment of worshiping you we just experienced. Thank you that you are here in this place. That you are the way maker. For you always make a way for your people. We are your people, God. We humble ourselves before you. We are ready to hear what you have to say to us. Holy Spirit, be powerful in this place. Speak to each and every heart that is here. Let us be quiet enough to hear it. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, and in your power, Holy Spirit. Amen. So the scripture we just read is one of those iconic scenes, like from a movie. You know what I'm talking about, like uh, like this one. There is no escape. Don't make me destroy you, Luke. You do not yet realize your importance. You've only begun to discover your power. Join me, and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you. If only you knew the power of the dark side. 
Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am the bread of life. Thank you. Uh, this is what Jesus basically just did. Did you hear that when we read it? There's this epic showdown, except Jesus is more epic than Darth Vader. Amen? You better amen that. Jesus is more epic than Darth Vader. The crowd asks him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? As it is written, he gave them manna from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, always give us this bread. And then it says Jesus declared. And every other time Jesus speaks, it says Jesus said to them. This one, it says Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. It's a total mic drop by Jesus. And, uh, but to, to better understand this passage that we have to look at who the characters are. Right, Verse 25 opens with, when they found him on the other side of the lake. And so just a Bible study tip, whenever you're reading uh, and you hear that it says they are some sort of unidentified subject, you know you're picking up in the middle of a story. So you have to turn back a few verses. And when we turn back to the beginning of John chapter 6, we see that Jesus is teaching this huge crowd of 5,000 people. And you know what he does, right? We've heard the story. Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? He's teaching beside a lake for hours and hours and hours, and all of a sudden the people look up and realize, oh my goodness, I'm starving, and it's Sunday, and the nearest Chick-fil-A is closed. What are we going to do? Where are we going to get food to eat? And the disciples say, Jesus, how are we going to feed all of these people? It says there were 5,000 men. It's not even counting the women and children. I'm guessing there were well over 10,000 people here gathered listening to Jesus teach. And so Jesus says, does anyone have any food? And a young boy comes forward. And I'm imagining this might be his lunch that he packed for the day. Uh, or maybe he went to the market and he was bringing some food home for his family. The Bible doesn't tell us, but he comes forward and he offers Jesus all that he has. And all that he has is five loaves of bread and two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish. And if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, well, thanks a lot. That's going to feed no one. And, uh, and Jesus doesn't respond that way. Jesus takes it and he gives thanks to his father for the food. And then he hands it out to his disciples and instructs them to begin passing out the food to this huge crowd. And they begin passing out food and passing out food. And they pass out some more food. And the food just keeps on coming. They don't run out of bread and fish. And Jesus has done a miracle and taken five loaves of bread and two fish and fed this entire crowd of probably over 10,000 people. 
And it says that not only did everyone eat their fill, but after everyone was finished, Jesus sent his disciples out to collect the leftovers, and there were several baskets of leftover food. Amazing. And so this crowd has the only natural reaction to something like this and someone like this. They say, let's make this guy king, right? Free food man. Endless, never-ending food. Let's make him king. And uh, just a note, like, what authority were they going to use to make him king? Just this huge mob. Did they decide, okay, we're just going to be our own nation now with this free food king and secede from wherever they're from? I don't know. They decide mob mentality, we're going to make this guy king. And so when you consider the good character traits of a good leader, wisdom, sure, military genius, who cares? Four words. Bottomless fish and chips, right? Jesus, in their mind, as a mob, was a great candidate to be king. So they decide, we're going to king this man. And Jesus knows that it's not yet time for him to be revealed as king on earth. And he also knows that this is not the way in which he should be revealed as king on earth. And so he escapes the crowd and he goes across the lake to hide out from them and to pray. And the crowd searches for Jesus, and finally, the next day, they show up on the other side of the lake where Jesus is, and they have found him. And this is where our passage begins. This is where we're at in the story. And they say to him, when they found him on the other side of the lake, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus does what he so often does, which is perform the original Jesus juke, Uh, and not directly answer the question that they asked. They said, when did you get here? He doesn't tell them when he arrived, but he gets straight to the heart of the issue. And he says to them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, right? Not because you saw and, and maybe thought to yourself, there's something special about this Jesus. Maybe you began to sense that, that Jesus was from God, that I'm the one come into the world to save you from your sins, the promised Messiah. No, Jesus says, you didn't seek for me because of that. You sought me because you were hungry and you ate your fill. He calls them out. And I wonder if sometimes we fall into this same trap. Do we love Jesus because of who he is, our Savior, the one who came, who lived a perfect life, a sinless life, who died on the cross, paying the price for all of our sins that we ever have committed, ever will commit in one moment, done, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, and is preparing a place for us to spend eternity with him? Is that why we love him? Or do we love him because of what He can do for us. Maybe you find yourself only praying when you're in need, right? When you have a need, we can be real powerful prayer warriors. Jesus, help me. My my mom is sick. She has cancer. Help me. Jesus, heal her. Jesus, my, my brother is depressed. He wants to take his life. Help me, Jesus. Help my brother. 
Jesus, I have a presentation at work. I have this thing, this test I have to pass for a certification, and I'm underprepared. I need your help. But then when times are good, how often do we just wake up one morning and realize, when was the last time I talked with my Jesus? Sometimes we fall into this same trap as the crowd. Uh, But Jesus admonishes them in verse 27, and he says, Do not work for food that spoils. Don't work for this bread and fish that I gave you, but work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, which is Jesus, will give you. For on the Son of Man, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And so the crowd then kind of starts to get it a little bit. And they ask him a good question. And they say, okay, well, if there's this God the Father who's placed a seal of approval on the Son of Man, and the Son of Man provides the bread that we should be seeking, right? what are the works that we have to do to fulfill the requirements of this God? What are the works, what do we have to do to do the works that God requires of us? And we should pay attention here. Because we're still under the same God of the universe, and we still need to know what does he require of us. And the interesting thing is these people were Jews, and so they were likely expecting a long, detailed list. You see, God had given the Jews before Jesus' time, before Jesus came to earth as a man, God had given the Jews the law through Moses. Uh, And this law had a very long list of rules and requirements and sacrifices that they had to make to live perfect lives, to fulfill the requirements of God. And the Bible tells us that no one can actually fulfill the law except for Jesus. But they were likely expecting this long list, and they may have even been testing Jesus. Well, how well do you know this God the Father? What are the requirements that he has for us? But Jesus doesn't give them a list. He doesn't give us a list. Jesus answers with one requirement. Just one. Do you get how important this one requirement is? If this one thing is the only thing that God requires of us to do, how important is that one thing? So important. And this is what it is. Jesus answered them. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, to believe in Jesus. But here's the thing, belief is different than knowledge. You see, knowledge will educate your mind, belief will change your life. Let me tell you a story. Uh, When I was around five or six years old, a young boy, uh, one day I went on a walk with my dad. Uh, And we lived in a neighborhood, um, cookie-cutter neighborhood, and so we took out strolling from our house, and we walked this way a little while, and then we turned right, and we walked this way a little while, took another right turn, back this way, and finally one last right turn, and you see what I have done. Where did I start? Right here. Where did I finish? Right here. You all are smart adults. You can see that. Uh, I was five or six, and to best of my belief, we had been walking 30 
45 minutes away from the house. And, uh, and so in that neighborhood, the backyards were uh, yarded in with chain-link fences, and between the yards in the back, there was a little alleyway that you could walk. And you could see into the backyards through the chain-link fence. And so we're walking along, and I look to my right, and what do I behold? Hey, Dad, these people have the exact same basketball goal like I have. Wow! Isn't that amazing? And uh, my dad said, yeah, son, that's pretty amazing. And, um, and I looked a little harder, and I said, hey, Dad, these people have the exact same baseball bat like I have. He said, they do. And I was like, look, they even have the same soccer ball as me. And uh, I still like sports that much to this day. Um, and he said, son, why don't you go into their backyard and see if they have anything else the same as you do? And I looked at my dad, rule follower that I am, and I said, dad, you can't just go into someone else's backyard uninvited. And, uh, and my dad said, well, son, thank you for obeying my rules. Um, but just this one time, just this one time, it's okay to go into this people's backyard uninvited. You can trust me. So I went into the backyard, and I began to run around exclaiming, hey, dad, these people have the same sandbox. Dad, look. They even have the same swing set as me. And he said, son, check the garage. Maybe they have the same car as us. So rude. And, uh, and I went in and I said, they do. And uh, it was about this time that my lovely mother walked out the back door. And I looked at her full of confusion and misunderstanding, and I said, Mom, what are you doing here? She said, this is our house. What are you talking about? And I was like, no, it's not. This is not our house. Our house is 30 minutes that way. And uh, she said, yes, it is our house. Why do I tell you this story? I tell you this story to illustrate what belief can do, how powerful belief can be. I believed in my heart of hearts that my house was 30 minutes behind me because I'd been walking and that was my concept of directions. I'm still directionally challenged to this day. Uh, and even all of the knowledge and understanding that everything in the backyard, everything in the garage, even my own mom telling me that this was my house, could not shake my belief. Childlike faith is a strong, strong thing. My belief was unflappable. It changed the way that I interacted with the world around me. So here's the thing. For those of us in this room that are Christians, that have decided to spend our lives following Jesus, we've decided that the words in this book, this Bible, are truth. God's words for us. 
And we just read that Jesus is the bread of life, that belief in him is the only, only, only requirement that the God of the universe has for us to fulfill his rules, his requirements. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. But I ask you, and I ask me, does your life look like the life of someone who believes this with an unflappable faith? Do you love Jesus in such a way that leads you to wake up an extra 30 minutes, to wake up an extra hour early? I mean, if Jesus is who he says he is, how much time is too much time to spend with him? Should we wake up three hours early? I don't know. But are you willing to make sacrifices to be with the bread of life? See, it's no accident that Jesus chose food as the analogy for himself. Because food is something we can all understand. We all know what we feel like when we haven't eaten for several days. And Jesus is telling us not to work for food that spoils, but to work for the food that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And how do we feel when we haven't spent time with the bread of life for several days. We need Jesus each and every day, all day, every circumstance, every trial, every victory. We need Jesus. And so if you have this knowledge, right, if you've never heard it before, I just told you it's in the Bible. And yet if your life doesn't look that way all the time, and I'll be the first to confess, my life does not look that way all the time, right? I slept in yesterday instead of spending time with God, I confess to you right now. I did not read my Bible yesterday and spend time in prayer with Jesus. If that's the case, if we have the knowledge and our life doesn't look that way, that means there's some kind of disconnect between the head and the heart. And so I want you to think about it this way. We're going to do a quick algebra problem. If your knowledge, your understanding of who Jesus is, is like all of the ingredients to bake a delicious cake, right? And you have all this knowledge in your head, this, all the ingredients are in a pan, right? Eggs, flour, sugar, other cake ingredients that I don't know because I don't know how to bake a cake. All of this is in your head, and you put it in the oven, and you don't turn the oven on. You got a nasty, wet bowl of cake ingredients. And so if the ingredients are our knowledge, our understanding of the scripture, and if the finished product, the cake, is a heart that has such a deep-rooted belief and faith in Jesus that it's able to change your life. What is the heat of the oven? And I present to you this. Knowledge, ingredients, plus 
action teach equals belief. Knowledge plus action equals belief. Let me prove it to you. James chapter 2. I'm going to read James chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. And James writes this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, has no actions? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them with a big smile on your face, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. And James says to that person, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You see how that works? Actions require faith, a belief that drives why we do what we do, but also our actions prove our faith, are evidence of our faith. You can't have one without the other. If you take action on something, it means that you have faith in something. And if you have faith in something, it means that you will take action in something. And so this is the invitation for us this morning, myself included. We know that Jesus is the bread of life, the ultimate feast, the one who calls us to spend time with him, to be blessed by him, to be changed by him, to be saved by him, to be loved by him. And so I invite you to consider your life, wherever you are, whether, whether you've been walking by faith day in and day out for years, or maybe right here, right now, in this moment, you've decided to believe in Jesus for the very first time. Wherever you fall in that spectrum, consider your life and prayerfully dream about what your life would look like, what ways your life would change if you believed this just a little bit more. And then once you've dreamed and the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart and told you the ways that you would change, take a step. Take just one faith-filled step of action. Take two steps. Take three steps. Take a step. It doesn't matter. Just take a step. And I promise you, your knowledge combined with your actions that has faith driving it, will transform your heart into one that believes in Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I confess, we confess that our lives do not always look like lives of people who believe in you with our whole heart. 
sometimes it's hard to believe that you actually want to spend time with sinners like us, and yet you do. You love us, and you have given us the greatest gift, the greatest feast. You have given us yourself, Jesus. And so we ask that you speak to our hearts, that we would actually do this, that we would actually take time to think about how our lives would look differently, that you would speak to us clearly, and that we would take action, that you would strengthen our belief, turn our unbelief into belief. That we would devote our lives to knowing you, being known by you, and sharing it with others.